Today in the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, we have an audio travesty. It is the hamburger and french fry show, something that the, I was going to say the great Sebastian Bourdais, people don't know how kind of mediocre, if not crappy, of a human being you are. We got that guy on the other end of the phone. I'm here, I'm Marshall Pruitt, I'm way worse than him. The ceiling is set incredibly low on this thing that we do. We like to do it in person, talking that is in front of you with a video and recapping a day at the races. Done it how many times this year, Sebastian, just via podcast, since apparently uh, you don't want to come anywhere near me and you don't think that standing next to me is good for your health? I don't know. I think it's worse in Florida, but maybe, maybe not. (laughs) Well, this guy here who decided... I don't know, to give up on IndyCar, run away and hide, something. We haven't seen him there for a little bit. Uh, yeah, he decided to go to Daytona last weekend, uh, go around in circles, some sort of sports car race. I hear he did okay. There was an IndyCar race, too. Figured, you know what? We should do a little hamburger and french fry show to catch up on the GMR Grand Prix at Indianapolis and the WeatherTech 240 at Daytona International Speedway. Before we do that, Sebastian, we should say thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. Where should we start? Should we talk about you and just be, you know, really careless about other people and how their races went? Should we just open with you? Should we feed your narcissism? Well, that's that's what we usually do. But I mean, if you present it this way, then you're making me feel really bad. So, and then anyways, like, what's up with you, man? You need to start traveling again because you're just becoming a bigger and bigger asshole every time we speak. So, I don't know, something needs to happen there. I thought I'd, I'd maxed out. I didn't think I could become any more of one. But you're no, saying... you're meaner and meaner every time you talk to me. What's going on? It was a fun show. Now you you just like it's it's the mean machine. I just expect you to stab me back a little bit, not complain. <sighs> You're following you need to toughen up. That's what it is. So you drove a race car last weekend for a team by the name of JDC Miller Motorsports. They happen to have a sponsor in Mustang sampling. You happen to have a teammate who's a fine piece of Portugal in Joao Barbosa, and you guys did something pretty cool to, I would say, upset the establishment. Some of the the bigger, more well-funded teams. Where should we start with your WeatherTech 240 race, man? Because all kidding aside and all giving you crap aside, it's something for you guys to be proud of. No, absolutely. And, and both cars. I mean, Tristan drove a heck of a race as well. Uh, too bad they just lost too much time early uh, in the race but uh you know i was looking at the gaps actually and and you know he, he kind of stuck with it and uh had he been uh with the five when when we kind of switched to the slicks and everything um he, he would have been right there so uh, you know all to the credit of the team and to be honest a uh, quick summary i guess uh uh, you know, anytime a, a little one like JDC, uh, you know, beats uh, the Penske team on a pit stop sequence, that's it's a good day. So, uh, you know, the boys were on it. Strategy was good. And uh, um, to be very honest, I, th- I thought initially that we kind of had thrown it a little bit away because I was uh, Chris was over there spotting for us. And uh, Chris Wheeler, and our man from Bell Helmets. 
yes <laughs> and uh and, and you know i was asking like once we kind of made the call it was kind of collegial with the team and christian and john and joao to start on wets because man it was it was tricky the start was some guys decided to go on, on drives the 10 and the 31 and and we we're like man you you cannot win that race on the opening stint but you sure can lose it and then sure enough you know i asked chris on the phone just you know what do you think is like well that's the call for sure slicks like damn it i really hope <laughs> i really 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 hope that you're wrong and sure enough you know five or six laps in the crossover happens and we're already thinking about pitting and i'm like gosh that's gonna be a tough one so uh uh, but thankfully there was no yellow and uh and the race kind of unfolded the other way because uh that meant that the 10 and the 31 were saving fuel the whole race and lost a, a lot of ground doing so um and uh, and we didn't have to uh, we pitted on lap nine and uh and just run uh, as hard as we could um lost a bit of time and then and then came back towards the end and uh, uh fought with the seven with the six uh and uh and you know kind of died on the heels of the of the mazdas which uh if you had asked me before the race uh i would not have put a penny on it um so yeah very very exciting race and and fun to uh fun to be in the mix and uh, and fight for a podium at the end what was it like seb going into daytona i guess for the second time to race this year but what was it like just comparing and contrasting from January with the Roar, the Rolex 24, going there, full crowd is as normal, normal procedures to get in and out. What was it like going in with the full virus screening process on social distancing, all the differences required in order to hold this race, and then conducting it in front of, I know they said a maximum of 5,000 fans would be allowed at least from the TV, it didn't look like there were 5,000 people. You know, there's some motorhomes lining the infield in various places and whatnot, but what was that like? Uh, I have to imagine a very different experience just for you as a driver. Yeah, man, it was, uh, I mean, there's definitely more people at the Roar, you know. I mean, it's just, uh, um, you know, thankfully the, the show was on TV, and, uh, and then, you know, I hope that the numbers were, were decent. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we I think we put on a pretty pretty decent show and and the race was exciting and everything with those mixed conditions and whatnot but uh yeah I didn't see a soul uh going in the track I didn't see anybody leaving the track at any given time um and and that's definitely not the way you want to be racing but if it's this or not racing at all I guess uh, I guess you got to pick the lesser of the two evils but uh it was strange um they were there like you said there were some rvs and some guys partying and stuff um you know one space every other two spaces i think or something like that at best um but yeah i mean there really wasn't many people in the stands um at least that i that i saw and uh it's kind of strange to race in those conditions but um yeah hopefully uh Hopefully we'll be back uh, with with people, you know, being able to share it with us. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's probably not going to happen just yet. Let's stay with you and your team here because this is a great race where you finished third or on the podium. You've done that twice this year in two races, and I'm not trying to overstate or over amplify something, but I don't know if folks really grasp 
what we're talking about. We're talking about two factory Mazdas run by Multimatic. You know Multimatic, having been part of the 4GT program. That is a powerhouse company. We are looking at the two, the championship-winning Acura Team Penske program. We are looking at the championship-winning Action Express Racing number 31 Cadillac. And we're looking at the championship-winning number 10 Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac. You, with the JDC team here, which is new to the top rank, not this year. I mean, again, I realize that they're last year, but just saying compared to the others, you guys are the new kids on the block to open the season with a third place, a podium at the Rolex 24, and to back that up last weekend, having gotten ahead of every single team, factory or, or fellow Cadillac, as well other than the two Mazdas. Just share some thoughts about that from goals coming into the season, man, because I think you might have already achieved them, and there's still a lot more racing left. Yeah, no, I mean... Um... It's it's all to the credit of the team. Obviously, uh, John Church put on you know the the best effort that he could, and and thanks to uh, Ken at Mustang Sampling and and uh, and Christian kind of trying to put all the pieces together, and John Miller and and you know putting putting Joe Loic uh, for Daytona the 24 and the long races and myself. Uh, yeah, it's it's just been uh, overachieving so far. Uh, you know, sitting second in the championship. <laughs> Uh, we had a goal as a team to kind of, you know, hopefully score a podium this season, and we got two podiums in two races. So yeah, definitely going, uh, going quite well. Uh, I think we we made some progress. You know, the big difference between 24 and this time is really um, managed to get the car in 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 a zone where I felt like you know I, I could I could drive. I was I was really on the back foot at the 24, um, which probably wasn't such a big bad deal because it didn't really matter so much when you look at the race in the end. I mean, Loic put on a clinic and a show at night and he was spectacular and, and he felt good in the car. I, I didn't. I, I was I was really kind of struggling and kind of drove to a pace and uh, and we knew if we did that and we didn't have any issues, uh, we had a really strong chance to finish on the podium. That's exactly what happened. Um, what was so, the car doing to start the season that you were able to improve for the return to Daytona. And I know you don't want to give away any secrets, but just from a general no. feel standpoint. Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, uh, we, we got the car on the shaker, uh, rig and, and, and made some damper improvements. And I think we found some mechanical grip thanks to it, uh, which, which kind of put the car a bit in the window where it actually kind of responds now. And, uh, and, and that was the key, uh, the key difference. Obviously all that work had been done towards searing. So, you know, not really knowing any better, we just kind of put whatever we found and, and threw it at the car for Daytona. There really wasn't much testing or anything. The tire was different. Um, so, you know, it kind of ended up being what it was going to be. Um, and, and thankfully it just woke the car up and, and I really could challenge it on entry and we made a couple of changes uh, rick uh, cameron uh had some uh, some good thinking there with uh with uh, john hayes and uh yeah and we just kind of made some some small improvements and all of a sudden the car was was really exciting to drive you know we could commit to the corner break deep um didn't really increase the industry all that much and uh 
and uh, yeah, that that really allowed us to fight in the race and and be on the offense, and uh, and it's a heck of a lot better and and nicer when you can do that than just kind of drive around and make sure you don't make any mistakes and see what uh, what uh, position you end up. Also fun too when your race engineer uh, helps you guys to beat his son Dane, who finished fourth. So you know, it's always never a bad thing when you send the kid the message there. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that there has been some interesting discussions uh, in the Cameron family. <laughs> Let's talk about a couple other aspects from the IMS race here. Then maybe we'll jump over to IndyCar a little bit, and then maybe come back and close uh, with the, some of the questions that folks have sent in. The GT Daytona front, I really enjoyed seeing young Aaron Tielitz, uh, who I'm guessing you might have gotten to know a little bit um, over the last year or whatever, when, or over the 2019 season a little bit when he was orbiting the Vassar-Sullivan folks. Uh, he and Jack Hawksworth, someone else who you've raced against uh, in IndyCar, boy, those guys were rock-solid, winning GTD for Jimmy and Sully, one two for them as well with Tony Bell and Frankie Montecalvo in second there. If you could sh- just share some thoughts, I know you weren't in the car. I know you weren't there exactly following uh, Jack's race or Aaron's race, but I do love it, Seb. When I see some young open wheel talent, even if they're over here in IMSA where they're able to earn a living right now, I do love seeing some supremely talented kids being able to shine and demonstrate that talent. What comes to mind when you see these kids who you may know as open wheelers first and foremost coming over to the sports car side and showing they still have the goods? Yeah, I mean, kind of happy and sad at the same time, right? I mean, happy because they're professionals and, and they show that they're their professional material and they're, you know, making a living out of it and, and having fun and having good success and, and sad for them in the same time because, you know, it definitely felt like they were on a good path for to do that in, in IndyCar or on open wheel in general. And, uh, and unfortunately, you know, circumstances and, and, and opportunities kind of uh, happen or not. And, uh, and then next thing you know, you're, you're in or you're out. So, uh, uh, but definitely uh, a great uh, a great pairing. I think it's actually going to be a very very tough duo to uh, to beat. Um, you know, with Aaron and, and Jack. So uh, that might be a, might be a, a great opportunity for uh, for Jimmy and Sully and, and the whole Lexus program to uh, to kind of um, really take the reins of the category, especially with a couple of contenders that uh, may come back or may not come back just quite yet. So uh, yeah, definitely a, an interesting dynamic going on there. Assuming that you got a chance to watch the GMR Grand Prix with the coronavirus having its effect on the calendar as it is, I know that, uh, again, for what you were hoping to do with the A.J. Foyt Racing Team, I know that you had intended to get in, you know, three, four races, get in some events. Any thoughts, Seb, on watching the race? maybe hearing some of the feedback or reading some of the feedback about a bunch of drivers who felt like they were sitting in a pot on the stove surrounded with vegetables and broth, just kind of see, kind of sort of being cooked for, uh, for dinner. Part of me was thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm betting he might've enjoyed being where he was instead of baking in an Indy car. 
Well, I mean, you know, I, I can't deny I might have been uh, interested in doing both, but uh, yeah, might not have survived the, the heat stroke twice uh, in a row because it was pretty brutal in Daytona in those uh, DPI cars as well. It was the humidity we had and uh, it wasn't anywhere near as hot, but boy, it was uh, it was pretty oppressing to, to breathe the air with thick. So, uh, uh, but um, yeah, man, it was uh, it was quite uh, quite a physical. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't even call it physical. Um, kind of uh, um, metabolism <laughs> challenge, and everybody reacts to heat very differently. Yeah. It doesn't really matter how much you train or anything like that. It's just like everybody's got this different threshold. And, and actually, uh, and, and I know, at least for me, uh, if I, when I work out, uh, the, you know, and I'm in the best shape, usually, usually are the leanest you, you, you're going to be. And, uh, and body fat is actually where you retain water. And if you want to survive heat like that, um, you know, being very lean and, and at the top of your shape is, is not the best thing, especially when you can't rehydrate in those cars as much as you need to. Uh, first of all, because you just don't have the water quantity. And even if you did, you can't bloat your stomach and, and load it up because with all the Gs, then then you get stomach cramps. So it's a, it's a very nasty feeling uh, when you start to kind of run out of fluids because obviously then the fever takes over and, and, and smart decisions come far in between. So, um, yeah, it, it's never a, a good feeling. And, and we've seen a lot of drivers getting out of those cars and, uh, having some very uh, vivid colors, so uh, that that's always that's always a tough one. But uh, yeah, it, it was a, an interesting race, a two-stage race kind of thing, uh, where we thought we had uh, a good idea of what was going to happen, and then next thing you know, uh, the guys were on the two-stop strategy, just completely <laughs> kind of you know got massacred for some of them uh, with with that yellow flag, uh, and and then the whole order kind of got flipped around and uh and then from there on just got took over and and just completely dominated so uh it was uh that i guess you know if you watch the the early stages of the race uh, you could see it was fast but you i don't think anybody really thought that that was going to be the scenario and uh, and you just completely ran away with it reminded me a lot of texas in that regard where you knew he was going to be there thereabouts but there was no, you know, there was nothing saying everybody's just fighting over second place before we've even taken the green flag. And yeah, I think between Indy and Texas, I forget what it was, but I, I put it together and his total margin of victory across the first two races is like 24.3 seconds, just something ridiculous. Yeah, especially in those, those in these days of IndyCar racing where everything's so close. Um, but definitely feel really, really bad for uh, for Will. Uh, you know, once again, just did a superb job in qualifying and dominated the race, and um, and then you know completely uh, got blown by that yellow. And then uh, Jack Harvey as well, who you know just put that thing on the front row and uh, looked like he was going to get his first pull until Will did a wheel thing again yeah and um and then uh yeah then in the race he, he was there and same thing just uh just kind of became a, a casualty so um some some tough breaks and then some winners as as usual when yellows kind of uh come and impede the race obviously there's not a lot of big flowery things to say 
about your Foyt teammate, rookie driver Dalton Kellett and his result, meaning, you know, he wasn't up there just making two or three car passes per corner and whatnot, but he did have a completely clean weekend uh, during some of the pit stop exchanges. He actually got, a, you know, halfway into the top 10, uh, didn't seem to do anything that would be considered a negative. Uh, I don't recall hearing from any drivers that, you know, he was discourteous or got in the way. It seemed like the kid had a pretty awesome debut IndyCar race. As I looked at and noticed, his fastest race lap was only a tenth and a half off of Charlie Kimball, right? Veteran of 10 plus years or whatever it is in IndyCar. What did you think about Dalton's performance, knowing that, you know, we didn't know what to expect back at uh, spring training when he turned his first formative laps? Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you look at the two tests he had before getting the car uh, there, he didn't seem to be super comfortable or uh, on pace. And, and I think, you know, you could kind of be afraid a bit of, of the worst for him, you know, going into a quick weekend like that, being out of the car for so long and so on and so forth. And I think he actually did a you know, pretty nice job um, and, and didn't try and rush it and, and took his time and, and, yeah, kind of came to power uh, during the race. So, uh, you know, obviously still still some ways to go, but, uh, you know, he's, he's definitely uh, uh, shown about as good as, as you could expect from, from the little experience he's got going on there. So, uh, uh, and, and, you know, everything's kind of in rebuild mode. Obviously, they, they got it really right at Texas, and the car was super competitive, and Charlie felt good, and, and he was, you know, if they didn't make a little mistake, they, they would have probably finished on the podium, uh, which would have been really awesome for the team. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it became a bit more challenging on the road course. And, uh, and you know, I, I wasn't privy to everything that's happened, but uh, I know for sure the team wanted more and expected more and, and everything, which is normal. But, um, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully it's... it's uh, going to be better at road america and uh, and everything uh, keeps you know heading in the right direction do you stay plugged in with the team at all uh maybe what this weekend where you're not on track is this something where whether they ask or you just try and reach out is this something where if possible you try and help in any way or you know tune in connect during engineering debriefs etc etc uh, i know they benefit from having your voice included. I just don't know if that's something they ask for or uh, you're there to offer. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I would I would gladly help, but I think it's also very difficult. You know, I, I don't know the team all that well. Uh, and and it's, it's always difficult to find your footings when you don't know an organization all that well. You don't, I, I know Charlie, but I, I've never worked with him per se. Um, and, and, and same thing with Dalton. So you, you want to help, but you also don't want to impede. And, you know, it's a fine line between the two. So, uh, if, if <laughs> let me tell you how help, it should be done, everybody, even though I don't know yeah, you, but let me thing, tell you how to like, do you your know, job. So I, if, if they have, you know, if I can help in any way, I'd be glad to assist, but uh, I haven't, I haven't been asked. So, uh, you know, going back to the question, obviously, you know, uh, Portland and St. Pete are still on 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 the radar, um, but you know there's still so many open questions. That I think it's too early to to answer any of that. 
uh, and uh, and hopefully uh, hopefully yeah I can be part of that future. I've got our cat Rocky who's decided to walk into the office here and start meowing loudly. So I guess we got a uh, microphone. Well, yeah, we got the uh, hamburger, French fry, and uh, kibble show, maybe. So I'm not totally sure what we got going on here. Any other thoughts from the uh, the Indie Grand Prix, Seb, whether it was our friends at Team Penske like Simon or Joseph uh, not really being there in a position to win but still salvaging decent uh, finishes? Colton Herta, fourth, you know, he didn't – really stand out but he got great points he's holding the fourth in the championship graham had a really really good race uh he was the only guy to really make the most out of the two-stop strategy finishing second uh what else uh marcus erickson like a good sixth place renus vk kind of you know cleared his name a little bit after texas finishing fifth uh you know there's some other uh there's some other interesting angles alexander rossi clearly someone hates him uh, you know, he's currently holding 23rd in points uh, behind Kanan and Takuma, who've only done one race apiece. Like, I don't know, man. There's, uh, there's a lot of storylines here. There are some good, some bad. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, well, Simon, the grinder, you know, I think we're going to call him the grinder because it's just like yeah, the, the, the never give up attitude and stuff. Like, he, he was really not having a good weekend. And then, you know, just stuck with it and and you know always always better in the race like you know for whatever reason the one lap pace with that car seems to be sometimes a bit of a challenge but uh, no matter what um just kind of pulled it off in the race and uh and really a pretty decent pace although for sure he had those new tires at the end but uh he wasn't the only one so uh so quite uh quite quite impressive on that end uh i guess you know maybe a little surprised that um uh, uh, joseph was not more of a factor uh, it seemed seemed really tricky in qualifying to get at one lap, uh, and and we saw a lot of surprises like you know Rossi just not being there in qualifying. I guess he wasn't great there last year, but uh, you know you would think that with all the information and everything, they would they would make it happen for him. Um, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Uh, Ryan not getting a whole lot of <laughs> out of not getting a lot out of it, uh, which seemed like he was having a pretty decent weekend too. And uh, yeah, just just a lot of a lot of stories of things working out, not working out. Um, and uh, and I guess you know that just shows you a little um, just makes or breaks a weekend. And uh, and I think that was a, a pretty good example once again of. How wide open things are in IndyCar. Um, just, just a tiny little setback, and and you slip down the order, or a tiny little thing going your way, and and you can really make a big headways. So, um, yeah, I think there was a, there was definitely a, um, more interesting stories in qualifying than in the race because the strategy kind of got in the way so much. Yeah. Um, you know, like Oliver, just you know looked like he was going to get that pull, um, you know, fastest in group one, fastest in, in, uh, in round two, um, you know, just never did a rerun on the red, you know, and, and then became a bit harder in round three. But, um, yeah, I think, I think he's definitely shown something. Um, okay. He made a mistake in the race. He got it. it. We're just saying mistake. he got that out of the way, right? Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. A, he's a very efficient and, young man. He's like, all right, round two. Let me get this out of the way. That's all it was. And um, 
yeah, I mean, just just a lot of uh, a lot of things. But uh, yeah, I wasn't privy to all the conversations, but uh, definitely uh, more 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 things to talk about than we have time for. I'm sure. We're going to go to some questions here to wind down, my friend. We're going to start off with our pal Jeremiah Morell, who asked, "What what did Sebastian miss more, the Indy Grand Prix?" Or his hamburger. <laughs> thanks, Jeremiah. But I don't know the answer yet, so I shouldn't say thanks. Uh, what did you miss more? You miss the Indy Grand Prix more than you miss me. You can be honest. Well, you, usually it's synonymous, so that's that's the, the messed up thing, right? Uh, so, you busted uh, out the word synonymous. Would... You're you're using them high dollar words. I like that. Yeah, you see. Uh, so hopefully we get back to normalcy uh, real soon and. Uh, I'm hearing some good news on your side, so I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Yes, and maybe you're right. Maybe when we're next to one another, I'll be less of a... I love how just the beginning of the show you call me an asshole. That's great. Um, we're going to go to Chris Ward, who says, Sebastian, we miss you in IndyCar, but glad to see you in IMSA. Chris asks, uh, what's your best car, worst car, and dream car? I don't know if you've gotten that question before, but it's become popular during the uh, over the... Corolla virus shutdown. Uh, like in in a series overall. Or? Racing, yeah, best race car ever, worst race car ever, and then dream car could be racing or street. Uh, worst race car. Jeez, I, mean, I I didn't drive only good cars, so it's, you got quite a bit to pick from. There. Wasn't that your, uh, the Porsche you drove for the first time at Le Mans? Wasn't that the, was nothing kind of wicked? No, it was, it was actually a lot of fun. Honestly, I enjoyed that. No, I think, uh, it would have to be when we couldn't get it right with, uh, with my friend, uh, Claude Galopin at, uh, in Super League. That was really frustrating on um, that car, which just barely drivable. Uh, and um, and equally as bad, I think, would be the uh, one year we did it with uh, with Starworks, uh, the 24 hours, and we had uh, uh, Alan McNish and, and myself and uh, and Ryan, and and the car was just absolutely dreadful. It was just dreadful. It didn't make any downforce. It was slow. We struggled. That was that was pretty sad. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what um, year that was because I remember I got a really good shot of McNish getting out of the car, totally just it destroyed at whatever time in the early morning, and uh, I think it had yeah, some nice that group thing shots. Yeah, trying you guys. to crash itself all the time, <laughs> just spending so much energy just trying to keep it on the track. It was it was pretty sad. Uh, actually, I I put it off in the grass on an outlap because for whatever reason it just refused to turn i was like okay well that's a first uh, but yeah it's it's not pretty i can tell you that Aww. um uh, best race card i think the most fun i had uh was probably the the panos uh dpo1 dpo1 yeah on road courses like i i just remember i have memories of like that lap but Road America and qualifying were were on pole by like almost a second, and there were there were some very very special qualifying laps and and laps in general. That thing was just awesome. It was one of the best balanced car I've ever driven. Um, so yeah, that'd be that. What about dream car? Uh, knowing that you're a guy who, uh, I guess, sold a dream car not too long ago, but uh, 
What about uh, what about dream car? Uh, let's just go with road. Uh, what would you love to have that you never have? Uh, I don't know. I'm not a guy that just you know has has crazy dreams of stuff like that. I just don't create envies. You know, I'm I'm happy with what I got. So I, I really haven't even thought about it. Wow. Well, I don't know. We got time. You want me to like set some music in the background and like a clock ticking or something? Uh, no, I'm, I'm too undecided on those kind of things. It's going to take hours. What about when you were a kid? Was there was there a car that you just always coveted or really wanted when you were a kid? Uh, I, I remember uh, having kind of uh, uh, yeah looking at the Lamborghinis when I was a kid, you know, that thing like, uh, the Diablo and stuff, it looked really mean and it was kind of different, like really extravagant. Yes. And I, I remember just kind of looking at those and being like, man, those things are pretty interesting. I, I don't know if I would say that I was dreaming about it, but like it definitely caught my eye. All right. I'm looking at some photos here. This would have been 2013. I believe I see you in your star Wars suit standing next to McNish uh, next to Ryan Diol, and then I always forget uh, the Venezuelan cat that you guys drove with. Alex? Uh, Popow, yes, that's right, that's right. So, all right, I'm looking at this photo of the four of you. So, okay, we have visual proof. Um, yeah, and you guys are looking either very serious or laughing. So, uh, yeah. No, we, we, had, we had a great laughing weekend. Like, it was, it was great. It was the first time I drove with Alan. And, uh, and, you know, so first time we didn't bang doors, but, uh, what was that like? Uh, was, was it what you expected? Cause he's known as being a little, anal- very super analytical and, you know, I figure the two of you might be really similar to look at, <laughs> you know, this was not, <laughs> it was not Audi or Peugeot or anything like that. So, uh, you know, it was just a, a good group of guys, but, uh, you know, low budget, low resources. So you kind of, uh, kind of just drove the car and, and, you know. Hopefully, hope for the best. But uh, yeah, I mean, we had what great runs and great cars uh, with Alex to share, and you know, and especially that inaugural Indy race. Uh, but uh, when I I drove through the field twice with that thing, it was just so good. It was so quick. It was unbelievable. But uh, yeah, Daytona that year, it's like we didn't have a floor. It was just no downforce. It just didn't make any sense. What was was that a BMW power plant or a Ford or or what? I think it was a Ford. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the engine was the only thing we didn't have to worry about. To be honest. <laughs> ah, that is hilarious. All right. Well, let's see. Where else should we go here on the hamburger and French fry Q and A? Uh, a very important one. Might be the most important question of the episode number three. What needs to be for you then? No, it's for you. It's 100% for you. From our pal Ricky Zagata. So, Sebastian, I just moved to St. Petersburg. Any restaurant recommendations? Uh, right now? <laughs> <laughs> Taco Bell, drive through yeah. <laughs> paging Scott Dixon. Take out. Uh, um, man, it's just like you go on Central and you have little joints that open, you know, all the time. And uh, personally, I, I really enjoy El Retorno. Uh, it's only open at night, and I don't even know that it's open right now anymore. What kind of food? That's a, an Italian restaurant and and a really good one. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, and but yeah, we 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 still like obviously we moved into a townhouse downtown, and uh, 
and you, we're still exploring like there are so many little places that you know we want to we want to go to uh and and that have really awesome reviews so it's it's uh same thing's become a bit of a food scene it's uh it's a bit like uh like austin if you'd, you'd compare it to something people might know a bit better what's a surprising type of food that you really enjoy that folks would never guess like the, you know, ah. just not like oh, I'm gonna have Mexican tonight or Italian or French, but like, is there something a craving you have for a type of food where folks will go, no way, come on, not that guy? Well, I I, I eat anything, so I mean, I I'll, uh, obviously sushi, love it. Uh, go to Thai restaurants. Uh, there's a there's a place that does um, fusion between Mexican and Thai, and that's very ex- interesting. Oh, that sounds uh, great. Yeah, yeah. Um, they make a they make a mole curry, which is definitely a very interesting thing. I know where we're going at the end of the year. I, I can tell you where we're going to have at least two or three episodes recorded. So yeah, all right. And uh, and yeah, I mean it, it's like I I just love discovering and uh, and there's a lot of those fusion cuisine these days that I really enjoy. Just you know going having a taste and and trying something different. How about Ethiopian? You ever had Ethiopian? I do not believe I've had Ethiopian before. I've had uh, Lebanon, but uh, not Ethiopian. Okay, that that's a good Russian. How about Russian? I know nothing about Russian cuisine. Same here, but uh, I just decided this years ago in San Francisco. San Francisco has every name the ethnicity, and there's a pocket somewhere where there's not only those people, their language, their clothes their food, their every, you know, it's just, it's really awesome. So it's almost the like, hey, what is, what's Guamanese uh, food taste like? I don't know, but we'll probably be able to find the pocket of awesome Guamanese people and try it. So anyways. I uh, see we have a Venezuelan as well, right next to us. I mean, they're closed right now. They're they're called Two Chicks and and they're closed right now. So it's, it's, that's something we discovered as well, just uh, around the corner and uh, they had great food as well. So I I like to discover for the most part, you're, you're very rarely disappointed. Next time you're out our way, or we're in a town together. Not every town has Ethiopian. We're going to have Ethiopian. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. Chicken, uh, lamb, might be a little, some goat if you like. Lots of vegetarian type options. Yeah, Injera, the bread that you eat with it. Oh, it. You don't actually need to use. There are no usually utensils provided. Oh, great stuff. All right, but that's not why Love folks Indian are. Love Indian as well. Well, and, uh, you you talked about lamb. I uh, just love lamb and uh, Indian food. It's just awesome. The official food of England, as I've been told. Uh, let's go yes. to Tim Falkowitz, our good pal Tim, who asks, Seb, how hard is it jumping back and forth from sports cars to indie cars? Do you have to constantly remind yourself what car you're in? I mean, I know you get this question somewhat often, but... Is it a process now for you that you've done it so many times that it just clicks easily? Or are there any little reminders of like, okay, just remember to do this differently because I'm in a very different vehicle? Well, I don't really have that problem right now. Well, that's a really good point. So we're going back in time. <laughs> but uh, I mean, uh, I wish I wish it did. Uh, honestly, driving is, is not the complex part. 
because uh, you just you it's it's like uh, you open a drawer and and you got your little comfort zone in there and and then you close it and then you open the other one and 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 it feels that way for pretty much every car I drive and I get experience in and I just kind of stockpile in that drawer the experiences then I close it and I just open the next one so that's that's quite simple um the one thing that always gets me though is like dash uh procedures and things like that and i don't know why i just i'm terrible like i it's like i'll i'll just forget and and the one thing that i rem- that i know is that it always seems to reset to the indy car because i've just driven those cars for so long that that's kind of like that's your normalcy. Default. And then, and then I just need to kind of relearn everything when it kind of comes back to you. But like the default tends to be IndyCar, so you just need to be a little bit careful with procedures. That makes sense. Uh, somewhat related question from Cody Oakwood says, Seb, since you have to share a car with one full season teammate in IMSA, how do you and Joao, even your co-drivers like Loic, how do you approach compromising on a setup? Uh, based on maybe different driving styles or preferences. How do you do that, Seb? Maybe more from the interpersonal relationship standpoint. Because we know that some folks could be very loud and mean and others could be quiet. And I don't know how you approach this. You just play out bowl. You just just say it's my way. Really? (laughs) So what if the other guys, I mean, granted, Joao's like the nicest guy in the world, but still. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I can't say enough about Joao because he's he's the easiest teammate. Like, he's so willing to, you know, compromise. And then to be honest, he just just makes it work. Like, whether he likes it, doesn't like it, wants it, doesn't want it, it just, it doesn't really seem to phase him or or slow him down very much i'm much more sensitive uh whether i'm in my kind of groove if if the car just gets where i need it to be or not so um so i it's it's much it's easy to make compromises with with joao because unless he's really like nope in which case you know it's not even try yeah it's not even worth going there um you'll 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 find a, a way to make it work so so i'm i'm really lucky with that and uh yeah with with loic um uh, it's just it's hard for me in 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 with that car for the moment because we really haven't had any tests and i don't have much experience i just don't know the car very much so you don't know what works what doesn't so you have to keep an open mind and and you can't impose any choices when you really don't have any convictions right so um yeah so it's just like okay well well, you know, we'll we'll try it and see what works, what doesn't. So now we're starting to try and get a bit of a, a trend. So hopefully we can build off of that and and uh, and and put it to use. But uh, it's it's always um, you know the pairing in in endurance racing in general is super important. Um, and I I have a really good relationship with Simon, for example. Um, but we don't necessarily need or like the same things. Uh, I think the one you know, if if we disregard Joao, which I really enjoy working with, uh, the one guy that, and I told you that already, uh, that I, I really, it didn't really seem to need any compromises or whatever. And if it set the car up or if I'd set the car up, we'd end up both very happy. It was uh, Anthony Davidson. That that just, that pairing we had that one year at Peugeot in 11 uh, was just awesome. He is, because, I love me and Samantha Davidson. Ant is just awesome guy. 
holy crap, is that guy talented? So, that yeah, was, that was a special yeah, lineup, re- man. Really, really, really uh, pissed off uh, uh, Stefan Sarazen that year. He just <laughs> really pissed him off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Let's see where else uh where else should we go here uh all right well here's a it's a great question from our pal eric harkrader and it has the potential to piss off two manufacturers at once uh <laughs> you eric, love that don't you i do because you know me you know me sadly um eric asks, can you compare and contrast driving styles between the dpi and indycar now you've done that before he has a question here though that i thought might be the interesting one to zero in on I was curious about the difference in driving styles between the tires in both, with Michelin uh, being in IMSA, their sole supplier, and IndyCar with Firestone as the sole supplier. What are the different traits there? And we're not trying to get both manufacturers sending you really nasty notes here. So, But in a general sense, Seb, how do they talk to you differently? How do they you know, work differently since you're obviously a guy who's uniquely qualified to speak to that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, tough question. Obviously, uh, everything depends on the car and how you set it up and how you use the tire. Um, I can't say that we've we've used the Michelin tire, you know, the best way possible so far. So, you know, I, I would hold off on on criticizing it. I think uh, it's definitely uh, a car where you do need to have a bit of tire management. Um, there is degradation, although the stints are short, and I think that was one of the biggest surprises. Um, and and you could see it from the outside. You know, the stints are forty minute stops, and and you've seen some cars that have just really, really end up, you know, in in big trouble, in big tire trouble at the end of the stints, which you know you wouldn't think that it would happen with with that kind of length of stints, but. Uh, um, so that was a bit of a surprise, but uh, I, I kind of got to say that uh, the softer tire, I wasn't so uh, sure about Daytona, um, but we had the hard tire um, in the heat there, and uh, usually the car doesn't really feel great Daytona ever, because you low downforce in really all the infield, you would need the downforce, so it kind of slips around and, and uses up tires and doesn't respond and, and brake as well as you'd like it to. And uh, and I really had fun, so I, I'd say it's 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 pretty pretty good. Uh, and the Firestone, I mean, man, it, honestly, uh, I think the, the the compound and and the the comp the the chemical composition of the tires has has put some restrictions on how good the tire used to be, and maybe you know has come down a little bit from those Bridgestone years with jam cars where you just like hit the tire and it give you more and more and more and more. And I just love that. They've had to go a little softer over the last few years. And that's not what I really enjoy, but it's still a super high quality tire. First of all, it never fails, uh, which, which is really reassuring when you're going, you know, 220 on an oval. Uh, and then, uh, and you know, they obviously try to have some degradation, uh, to to mix and spice things up, um, but uh, but the prime tire is usually a very robust tire, and 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 you really have you know have fun driving the car. That's you know the the, the car tire combination is is still um, to me the best combination that you know, I've I've driven. We won't get into it now, but I'll just share with our listeners. Seb is a man of many skills and immense talent 
one of the things that is a unique talent for him, and I say this as someone as a former kind of crappy but occasionally decent race engineer, uh, but someone who also talks with a lot of drivers about technical stuff and in-depth bits, Sebastian's grasp and knowledge of tires and minutia and his sensitivity and the ability to feel things that most drivers just are, have no clue are taking place. It's remarkable. And so I just get personal appreciation. Love talking tires with Seb because it's just, it's awesome because so few drivers that I interact with are capable of having that professor level knowledge, uh, institutional knowledge to having done this for, you know, 20 plus years uh, to be able to compare and contrast Maybe someday I should get you and my good friend Brad Kettler, former Audi Sport engineer, uh, who I nicknamed the Tire Whisperer uh, many, many years ago, who is your equivalent, Seb, but from a race engineering standpoint. And we can just have the craziest conversation about tires. That'll probably go way over my head, too. Uh, but maybe some uh, some fans would like that, too. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, well, I appreciate the the flowers there but i mean at the same time it's also why i got such a, a limit I mean, I mean i have a, a limited uh bandwidth of you know what's acceptable for me and and how well, as far as what i can drive fast and and you know i've i've <laughs> unfortunately a lot of it has to do with the way the tire behaves and so yeah I, i've kind of got that feel that i'm always kind of looking for and and sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. And that's certainly what, you know, was my big downfall in, in F1 because mechanically the car was not giving you anything and you still had to drive it and faster than anything else that you can drive on the planet. So, you know, it's got some good and, and some bad sometimes. All right, you're terrible. I take everything back. Um, last couple of questions here. Speaking of F1, Howard Bennett says, Seb, any thoughts about Fernando Alonso returning to the F1 team? Uh, for another stint where that team might be at, where it might be going. Plus also, again, Fred being, what, he'll be 40 by the time that he uh, kicks off his return there. Any thoughts? Did it surprise you? didn't surprise me. No, I don't think it surprised many people. I think uh, he was he was waiting for that uh, opportunity. Uh, maybe he was waiting for a better opportunity. I just don't know that uh, the current climate, uh, even before, um, obviously, uh, any of those, you know, health concerns happen. Um, I don't know that Renault had the means and the money and the organization and, have, you know, just all the right people to do that uh, and get it done. I just, uh, I don't worry because, you know, obviously he's got nothing to prove and, and it works, it works, it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, but I, I just don't think it's, it's, uh, it's a given. I think there are a lot of obstacles to overcome. I think the French economy is, is going to be, uh, really struggling. And if that happens, you know, <laughs> I've seen, I've seen economical struggles turn into a uh, program shutdowns, if you know what I mean. Mm. So, uh, and, and with no prior, uh, signs of any, of any ways. So, uh, yeah, I, I would be a little su- worried about that. But I guess, you know, like we say, it's this or nothing and, and it happens great. It doesn't, I'm sure it's, it won't be the end of the world for him. 
couple more here, brother, then we will uh, say goodnight. Uh, our pal JJ Gertler, Seb, actually says Mr. Bourdais, so that's very nice. Um, how do you approach a partial season? Like you have, uh, talking about, I guess, IndyCar here compared to when you're running for championships. And this is also not the first time, right? I mean, when you came back from F1, uh, you came back in a partial capacity. Does that do anything different to your mindset, how you approach an event, uh, or is it always maximum attack, whether it's one race or a full calendar? Yeah, I mean, I I think you just approach it the same way anyways because you just want the best result possible for for the opportunity that you get. and um, I, I, I've always tried to take the races one at a time anyways. Um, like for a while, I think I just I just tried too hard, plain straight simple, because I think maybe I just felt like people were uh, expecting a lot and, and I felt like I had to deliver and try to over deliver with maybe equipment that wasn't up to par and made a bunch of mistakes and looked like a fool sometimes. But uh, um yeah, I mean, you know, I guess you can't can't blame yourself too much for for trying, but uh, yeah, it deserved me more than it served me uh, at times. So uh, um, no, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I, I treat different, but uh, the one thing for sure is that there are a lot of um, questions up in the air, and if if I'm even going to be in the car this year, you know, it's just uh, with with everything that's happening. So you just try not to. Uh, the question too much and uh, and just uh, enjoy the times when you're in the car and it was uh, it was really good and ref- cool and refreshing to to get in that uh, number 14 uh, with uh, with my colleague and, and all those guys around and um, um yeah i just i just hope that we can we can show what we got in store uh, sooner or later let's close on this one because i think it might be the most accurate question posed of the entire episode this comes from our good buddy Lance Snyder. Sebastian, do you think not having Marshall at the track is helping your performance, no matter the vehicle? He raises a good point. You know, you were quick like a bunny at spring training in IndyCar. I wasn't there. Back-to-back podiums in IMSA. I wasn't there. Should I start charging you to not show up? I might be your reverse good luck charm. I don't know the fastest I've ever been. You were there, even the fastest uh, upside down on fire. Well, that is true. I don't know. <laughs> Did your have your scars healed from that? By the way, uh, I still got a screw sticking out, but uh, really, nobody wants to take care of that. So oh. we'll find out. <laughs> I love telling folks the story of coming to see you at the hospital. And uh, I don't. Again, I know you said it was because you're on some pretty good drugs or whatever it was. You also hadn't had a lot of sleep, and you were worn out. And you just decided to like lift up your shirt and show uh, show the scar, but then also pull down your pants. And we, your mom and dad, were in the room. And uh, who else? I think Pippa Man might have been there, and Dale Coyne. And you know, I don't know if you're looking how far you pulled down your shorts, but uh, let's just say I've seen a lot of you, Sebastian Bourdais. French brother, like you know, yeah. come on it's a people i know you come from people of love so uh yeah i won't inspect the lower scars but i'm just hoping everything's looking good there so i didn't show you the uh x-ray i thought you did i did i i think so so you saw the whole thing then well (laughs) (laughs) jeez (laughs) 
All right, Sebastian Bourdais. Well, uh, don't go posting any photos of yourself that you shouldn't on the internet. Um, thanks for taking some time. Thanks for taking crap from me. That's half the reason I do this, man. It's just to give you a hard time. But you know, it's okay to give me an even harder time. Anytime, brother. All right, love you, my friend. I'll speak to you soon. All right. Well, let me uh, hit the little marker here. I'll do a little intro, and yeah, you know, we'll talk shit and have fun, I guess. So, uh, which which number is it this year? Have we done one, two, three? I don't know. Let's make up a number. We're celebrating our five hundredth episode. <laughs> we, 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 we just gonna look like morons. Yeah, here goes the fifth. Oh shit! No, wait, it's the second. Oh, maybe it's the third. I don't know. I love the fact that you're worried about us looking like idiots, as if I don't just presume that's where we start. So yeah, oh, you're so not, cute. not like on like things that we really could just do our homework on. Like it, it shouldn't be that hard. I really actually expected you to know that. But I'm gonna. I, I might. I might actually just use this part of the conversation to open the show <laughs> I don't know man look alright fine be that way make me actually conduct myself in a vaguely professional manner whatever Bourdais good lord just the worst alright well I don't know um, alright so I, I searched for French that didn't work uh, <laughs> hamburger yeah, uh, I got week in IndyCar April fourth with you. Um, I've got week in IndyCar uh, February thirteen. So we did two. We two. did one post Daytona, and then we did one in April, and that's it. So that would be number three. You see, I was right. Such an asshole. Monday. All right, I'm gonna kick off here today in the Marshall Pruitt podcast. We have an audio travesty. It is the Hamburger and French Fry Show.